Our scripture today is from Mark chapter 10. We are continuing to work through the gospel of Mark. And this particular um, story or account is of a rich man coming up to Jesus. And so I'm going to read all the way from 17 to 31. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Do not honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with, with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is God's word for his people this morning. Amen. So I want to start off this morning with a mental exercise. And it's one that I had done, um, I think, in my previous location, uh, especially when I had interactions with people who were living in poverty. And and here's, here's what I want you to imagine. What would it look like for you if you lost all your possessions and income? If you had lost everything. And so thinking about that, you know, it could be that you would live on the street. Um, but there's, there's government programs, so Section 8 apartments, so likely you could end up in a place to, to live that's warm. It may not be your choice of where you'd want to live, but um, there's that. And then I know back where I, my previous place in Zanesville, there was a, a free meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I knew that at, at True Light Ministries, they would have free breakfast. That's on the south side. And so, but they, they love to play Billy Graham, old Billy Graham. Pre, you know, they, they were going to preach at you uh, while, while you ate breakfast. 
But then for lunch, you could walk uptown to downtown and get lunch at Christ's table. And so then you get lunch there. And then later in the day, you could walk down to the Salvation Army and get dinner. So there would be a meal no matter where, where you do. I assume in Schenectady and in the area, there's, there's similar things going on. So you'd be able to eat. Um, you might not be able then, you know, if you lost everything, you wouldn't have your smartphone. Um, but even there, there's, there's free government phones now. My, my friend Terry called it the Obama phone because they, they came out with those during uh, his, his time in office. Um, I think one of the harder things would be not having a car, right? You'd have to learn how to manage the bus system. But if you lost everything, you could survive and eat and have a dry place to stay. The question is, is would you still be happy? Could you live a joyful life if you lost everything like that? The Apostle Paul, writing, said, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. The secret of being content, at peace in your life, even happy, even if he had nothing. And he in his different times had that. And he goes on to say, through Christ, everything is possible. All things are possible, Jesus Christ. The reason he could say that, that the secret, was if I have Jesus I don't need anything else. I have what I need. That's how I want us to think about as we approach this passage where Jesus calls a man with great possessions to give it all away and follow him. Go to that state where you have nothing and says, come follow me. Sell all you got. And so let's, I want to look at that passage in depth. I think it's a challenging passage to think about as, as Christians, if you're using my handout, we're going to start in the upper right-hand corner and follow the footsteps. And we're just going to walk through this conversation. And I want to highlight different things that I think help us understand what's going on and, and why is Jesus handled it this way. So it begins with a, a what we know as the rich young man, comes before Jesus, falls before him, and, and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Likely, since he's young, he didn't build his wealth on his own. He probably didn't create some app that uh, made him wealthy or anything like that. He certainly inherited his wealth. So now he's asking about, what about inheriting life eternal with God? We know... The Bible teaches that this life is not all there is. One day this life will end for all of us. Maybe we'll get 80 or so years, maybe even more out of it. Maybe it will go well or maybe not so much. But, but at some point, we, this life will end for us. And the question is, is what, what happens then? Well, the scriptures teach that there will come a, a, a new age, a resurrection age, where those who belong to Jesus will be resurrected and live with him forever um, in, in perfect glory and peace. 
And so those who have come into a relationship with Christ, who know him and are known by him, they will be resurrected and live forever. And so this man is asking, how do I be a part of that? It's interesting. He had everything this world could offer, right? He had, he had wealth and possessions and everything you'd think he would want, but he knew there was something more. Now, this kind of goes against the, the Marxist theory. I don't know if you've ever heard of the religion is the opiate of the masses, meaning religion uses this idea of a vague heaven in the future to pacify the, the, the people in poverty, the masses, so that they'll go along with it, you know, with the horrible life on this earth, just because they know someday they'll get to go to heaven. That's, that's the Marxist critique of Christianity. But this doesn't fit that. This guy's not one of the masses. He's one of the, the wealthy. He has everything this world can sense, but he still knows there's something more. I would suggest that God has put eternity in the heart of men and women. We, we don't want this to end. We, we long for eternity. We hate the idea that one day the story will come to an end and be over. Because God has put that in our hearts. And we want to know the answer to that question. How do I inherit that eternal life with God? Jesus, in responding, takes a surprising tactic. He says... Why do you call me good? He doesn't answer directly at first. Notice. Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. And I think Jesus is doing two things. One, he's getting the man to think about, who do you, who do you think I am, by the way? No one is good but God alone. You called me good. He's, he's the idea of who is Jesus. That, that's, that's one subtle thing in this. And the other is, what does it really mean to be good? Um, no one is good but God alone. Are you really saying you can be good? Good enough to inherit eternal life? He's beginning to set up his answer. And then Jesus goes a little further. He says, okay, you know the commandments. So this rich young man would have been raised in synagogue. He would have been taught the Bible. He says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery, all those things, uh, honor your father and mother. All the things Jesus mentions are in the Ten Commandments, except one. Do not defraud. So I don't know why he singled that out as, as one that's clearly taught in the other places in Scripture. And it's, it's implicated in do not bear false witness, but do not defraud is the only one not in the Ten Commandments. And I do wonder, how did this man's family get wealthy? You know, in the ancient world, it was, it was generally you gained wealth at the expense of others. Um, and so I wonder if Jesus is, is, is inviting him to think about that. But the man's response is fascinating. All these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, is that true? Do you think it's true? Is it possible to live a basically moral life? To not break the Ten Commandments? To not do evil? Well, I think he at least certainly holds it to be true. 
And there is, a, we are able in one sense to keep a basically moral life, but there's a thing that Christians keep insisting on, the Bible keeps insisting on, and we as evangelicals especially insist on, is that no, no one really can live up to the, the standards that God has set for us. There is no one righteous. And we've all fallen short of God's, God's righteous laws. So even if we are basically moral, there's still something missing. And why do we insist on that? Why, why do we insist that no one is good but God alone? There's three, three reasons Jesus gives in, in other places. Um, one time Jesus talked about why do you... Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, but pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? In other words, in, in every person there's self-deception. We see clearly the wrongdoing of others, the speck. But we are not able to see our own wrongdoing or sinfulness. So self-deception is one part of the story. Another is selfish motives such that even when our deeds are good, they are often done for self-serving reasons. So Jesus talks about how, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before people, before other people, in order to be seen by them. In other words, if you're doing good, good deeds just to be noticed, just to get attention, just so that people will think well of you, then you're not, your motives are not right, not godly. A third reason, I think, is, is just simply our hearts have been corrupted. We have hearts distant from God. Um, he said about the religious leaders of his day, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's possible to put up an outward front of a moral life and yet inwardly be ruled by anger or inwardly be, be captured by lust or greed or envy. We have corrupted hearts. And in order to enter into the eternal kingdom, to live with God forever, that has to be dealt with. We cannot bring that corrupted heart into God's perfection. And the essence of eternal life is being with God forever. And so he has to deal with that. And, and he has to, first of all, deal with the guilt of the wrongs we've done. And even more, to begin to root out within our inner being the, the junk in our heart, the corruption, and set our hearts right so we can be with God. The solution to all of this is a Savior. Jesus came to, to do just that, to open the door. What is impossible with men will be made possible because of what Jesus would do. He would give his life to deal with the guilt of our sin. And by giving his life and putting his life inside of us, he would begin to undo the corruption within our heart so that we can become like him and ultimately live with him. That's the solution is Jesus himself. And so what he does with this rich young man, he now answers the question, and it's simply this, come follow me. You want eternal life? 
Come follow me. Come into a relationship with me. Get, come be a part of what I'm doing. Oh, but to do that, you have to sell everything you have and give it away. Because as long as you have all those possessions, you'll never be able to follow me. Think about it on a practical level. The man who had great wealth, he had houses or whatever. As soon as following Jesus got tough, and it was going to get tough when, when uh, you know, they, they got to Jerusalem and, and you know, the, they'd be under arrest and things like that, would he not just flee back to his, the safety and comfort of his wealth? So on a practical level, um, he had to sell everything. But even more, it, it's, it's the hold that the wealth had upon his heart. At one point it says, Jesus looked at him intently. It, it doesn't convey that in, our, in the translation, but it says he looked at him. And it says it's like he looked into, into the depths of him. And it says, and, and he loved him. That Jesus was not against the man. He cared for him. And he sincerely wanted the man to join in him, with him. He looked at him and loved him. And that's when he said, one thing you're missing. If you could just get past this and follow me, you'll have what you're looking for. But that one thing was too much. To give away all his wealth that he inherited from his father. To, to, to give that all away and follow Jesus. To trust that much to where he'd trust his fate. You know, to not have the thing you could fall back upon. He couldn't do it. And it says he was distressed by what Jesus said, and he went away sorrowful because of that. He was not willing to make, take that step. I would suggest that at some point, it may not be wealth, but at some point for all of us, Jesus will say, come follow me, but you have to put me first, and that means walking away from something else. And that will be a challenge for every person. We all will have that moment. Might, might not be possessions, it might be status. If I'm known as a follower of Jesus, that won't help me in my professional standing. It may be a, a, how people perceive me. You know, if I'm known as the church kid, I may get made fun of at school. Whatever it is, in that moment, Jesus will speak to your heart and say, come, follow me. Walk away from that. There's a parable he told about a man who found a great pearl. And it was the pearl he'd been searching for all his life. And it says, in order to buy the pearl, he sold everything he had to buy that pearl. And he says, when he did, he rejoiced because he had it. That's what it looks like to find Jesus. You sell everything you have because you're convinced he is worth it no matter what he calls us to. When the man walks away, Jesus says how difficult it is for a man with wealth to enter the kingdom of God. He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. Now, the disciples are amazed at that statement because 
the tendency then and, and now as well is to see wealth as a, a, a blessing from God. You know, if you're wealthy, it's because God really likes you and wants your life to go well. But Jesus is flipping it, right? He's saying wealth might actually be the biggest hindrance to getting in God's kingdom that there is. Um, because what the possessions you have, you have them, but they begin to have you over time. And the longer you have them, the more harder it would ever be to live without them. And so Jesus used this hyperbole, uh, this extravagant statement about the camel going, I mean, it's a ridiculous picture, you know, a camel fitting through the little tiny eye of a needle. It's, it's meant to be impossible. It's, it's overstatement, hyperbole. But it ha- it, of course, it's not forgotten. Um, and the disciples are like, well, then who can be saved? Well, Jesus says, well, what, what's impossible with man is possible with God. He came to open the door. But the point being that wealth is one of those things that can get a hold of us and keep us from entering the kingdom. But we need to back up for a minute because he also said this. He said, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. Now, why is it difficult? Because God decided to make it difficult. Well, note that word, children. He's calling his disciples children. What's going on? Well, right before this passage in Mark, there were a bunch of children that were brought to Jesus. And he receives them and has them on his lap and is, is blessing them. And, and he gets a little pushback and he says, um, whoever would enter the kingdom of God must enter it like one of these little children. If you're going to enter God's kingdom, the only way in is to be like one of these, these kids. Um, what does that mean? Well, I was thinking about that. I think as adults, we want to negotiate our way in, right? We want to come like the rich young man and say, well, I will give you this, God, if you give me this. You let me in eternal life and I will do. Tell me what steps I need to do to get in to eternal life. And that doesn't work. How do you get in? Like a child. You, you trust. You, 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 know, you follow your father and where he leads. So I remember camping when I was a, a, a kid. And cl- I love to climb trees. And I, one time I climbed up to a tree. There's a bunch of us kids and a pro- I think we're kind of daring each other to go up and, and maybe some of these kids were older. And so I got up to one tree branch, got boosted up and was up there. And then I couldn't get down. I panicked and I'm like, I'm not crying and that, you know, they, you know, the kids can't help me. So they go get my dad who was not far away and he comes over and, and I'm just out of reach. Like he just can't quite pull me off the branch. And so there I am, and he says, you have to let go of the branch, and, and you'll be fine. I'll catch you. You know, but I, I'm holding on. This, this branch is what's, you know, my security, right? I, I don't want to let go. But ultimately, to get down from the branch, I had to let go and just trust my father would catch me. I think that's what Jesus is saying. That's how you enter the kingdom. Not by your own merits, 
not by your own good deeds, not by negotiating terms, you fall into the arms of your Father. And God, I, I trust that you'll catch me. So the disciples, after hearing all of this, they have a question. It's simply, what about us? And they, they say, we have left everything to follow you. And they had. They had walked away from their fishing nets, their day jobs. Their fate is tied to Jesus. So what about us if, it's, if this is this way? And so then Jesus teaches um, two, two promises in a sense. For those who do trust him. To those who do fall into his arms and give, them, give him their life. He says, in this life, you will gain a hundredfold. Those who've given up houses or brothers or sisters or fathers um, will not fail to receive a hundredfold. Do we not, as part of the community of believers, are we not all brothers and sisters and mothers to one another? Instead of having just a nuclear family, we have a church family. And... Back in Mark 3, when his own Mary and Joseph, or Mary, not Joseph, Mary and his brothers came and wanted to collect him, Jesus says, whoever does God's will is my mother and brother and sister. That's what we have amongst God's people. We will get invited to homes for dinner. We will um, have relationships abounding within the church if we're willing to, to join what Christ is doing. Um, joyful relationships. And he also says, and, all, and also persecutions. In effect, as followers of Jesus, you get more of everything, right? You get, you get more brothers, sisters, mothers. You also get more difficulties for signing on with me. Um, John 10, 10 says, um, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. We get it all. Jesus is worth it. You get, you get both sides, but you get it all but you get a life that matters, a life that can have an impact in this world, not just a life that accumulates more and more of what we already have enough of, not just a life that's based around security and comfort and, and being at ease. It's a life that calls you to risk, to step out of the boat and start walking on water with the Savior, but it's a life that matters. Do you want in? Are you in for that kind of life? Yeah. And that's not the end. So a hundredfold in this life, and in the next life, next age, in the next age, life eternal. In the age to come. The best of all, the expanded relationships will last forever. So we don't just follow Jesus because one day we'll get to go to heaven. Um, but we get that too. Most of all, we get, a, we get more of everything. Life as it was meant to be lived. So I want to get practical. How does this hit our life now? Let's, let's talk about that a little bit. And, and I kind of have a question. Are we as followers of Christ called to take a vow of poverty? I mean, are we called to always give up everything we have and, and each day, you know, we can't ever own anything? I, I, you know, I guess the, the monks... And nuns in the monasteries would kind of do that. They'd take a vow of poverty. What I would suggest is 
not necessarily, but we have to decide who is our ultimate master. We will always be tempted to allow our wealth, our possessions, to become first and foremost. And so we have to regularly decide to walk away from it, to give it to him, even if it's in our, 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 in, in our minds and in our, in our hearts. Jesus said in Matthew 6, No man can serve two masters. If you make your possessions your master, then, then you're not one of his. Um, if making, keeping, or spending money has priority for you over serving the Lord, then you cannot belong to the Savior. So what do we do? I have, I have kind of a, a list. I'm, I'm just going to hit a few. One is we need to make clear in our hearts and minds who is number one. We have to decide that, that Lord, you are, you are first and, and foremost. All that I have, all that I own is secondary. The second, going along with that, offer all you have to him. In prayer, regularly, just say, Lord, all I have is yours. My house, my, my, my car, my relationships, it belongs to you. May you use it as you desire. I think affirming that, even saying it out loud, we need to do that because our hearts are always going to try to claw back, you know, letting possessions be, be central. Um, third, give 10% of your income back to God. Tithe is what we call that. Um, give it to the church. Give it to the missions work. Um, it's, it's a way of stating, Lord, all I have is yours, and to affirm that, I'm going to make sure I give this, this tithe to you. I know I need to do that because greed is within me and I, I would spend more and more on myself. And so I set that line that that comes first. Fourth, freely you have received, freely give. Decide you are a generous person and you will be generous. You know, sometimes... Um, you have to just be willing to lend out stuff you're worried about losing. I got that the car I have now, I was bought new about seven years ago. And I remember we had a, a, a friend that needed to borrow it. And I'm like, oh, it's my new car. You know, I had one of those internal battles. Come on, you know what I mean, right? You know, like, okay, all right, Lord, that's your car. I'm going to loan it out. But we have to do that. Freely you've received, freely give. Fifth. Rejoice in what God has blessed you with and live wisely. Be good stewards. When God does bless you, live wisely. And I think when Christians do that, what's, what's funny is we, we can become rich. And I think as a whole, Christians do tend to grow in wealth. I, I had a boss when I was doing, working for Young Life and not being paid very much at all. But he, he talked about you in ministry can become rich slowly. If you're living wisely, if you're living by your income, and if you save appropriately. Um, so that's, that's okay. Uh, but then the second part is, then be rich toward God. As you grow in wealth, be more and more rich Towards God, Jesus gave a quick parable 
about a, a, a rich man, but this time an older rich man who, who had, whose crops, whose fields produced great crops, and he just kept accumulating. And he says, I will tear down this barn and build bigger barns. And he just he got more and more of what he already had enough of. And in the end, he faced the judgment of God because he was rich to himself, but not rich towards God. So if God has blessed you, um, be rich towards him in return. And lastly, don't let envy have a hold of your heart. That is a danger for both rich and poor, is to want what others have. That's another way of letting your possessions, or lack thereof, control you to own you. Don't let envy have a hold in your heart. So those are some practical steps. And I just lay before you, people of God, brothers and sisters, are any of those ones that you really need to start, start focusing on? What do you need to do to make sure that your possessions don't own you, but that Jesus is your, your first and foremost? And then Jesus gives a final thought after it's all over, and it's simply this. Many who are first will be last, and the last shall be first. Meaning many you look out and think, man, they have a great life. They're, they're winning, right, at, at life. They have um, a lot of stuff. They have security. They have that. It, many it will turn out of those will, will have not live so well. Will have not, their life doesn't end as, as well as you think. And you think how many people grew rich and famous and were miserable, depressed, but then he says, many who are last will be first. Many who live simply and humbly, that, that no one took much account of in this life, they will be heroes in the kingdom of God. And, and their story will be told as before the throngs of angels. So that's something to keep in mind. Don't, don't put too much stock in how people put you within this world because we're terrible at assessing all of that. Closing questions. What steps should you take that your money and possessions are not more important to you than your relationship with Christ and the Lord? And lastly, can you say you have gained a hundredfold from anything you've, you've had to give up to follow Jesus? I mean, if you've had to... to Give up something because you're, you're trying to do what's right, trying to follow the Lord. Can you say, man, but I've gotten so much in return. It's been worth it. It's been a hundredfold. Ponder those. And let's give to the Lord all of who we are so we can follow him with abandon. Let me pray. Jesus, you speak to us each, and I pray that that people will hear from you and not just me. The words that I said that don't apply to them, may they forget. But may anything that comes from you, may they hear and remember, and, and may you speak to us about how we each can follow you and respond to you. Lord, we ask that your grace be with us through this all. And may we love you more than anything else. In Christ's name, amen.